It's a good, it's a good job to have, really. Um, I don't know whether you um, people watch at all. I am. Um, I I enjoy it. I, I'm actually by nature very nosy, which I think. It works really well in kind of pastoral ministry, just, you know. Um, But I do like to people watch. And I don't know whether you've noticed that a generation of people now walk along the street a little like this. (laughs) Um, You know. And then maybe look up to cross the road and then back down again. And don't really notice anything that's going on around them. But also... Because of the way they're holding their neck, develop really bad posture. So in a modern age where a lot of us work on laptops, a lot of us use smartphones, a lot of us are spending time looking down. And I've had to have a little bit of physio recently because something in my neck is is not working properly. Um, And the physio was really kind and she said, it's probably, she said, what do you work on at home? I said, a laptop. She said, do you own a smartphone? I said, oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Got it out, showed her, you know. Um, She was like, do you spend a lot of time using that? I said, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you watch stuff on the laptop with your kids? Do you read books? Oh, yeah, yeah, I do all of that. She said, yeah, I think basically your, your posture is just affected on your neck where you're basically leaned over and we just need to help you get some of those muscles working a little bit better. I also have done something to my rotator cuff, which apparently is a sports-related type of injury. Like if you play American football, or, which clearly I don't, um, or maybe netball or something like that. She said, is there anything you're doing regularly like this? I said, not really. She said, how do you pick your kids up? So I said, oh, a little like this. Uh, how do you hold them? Oh, a little like this. Uh, okay, yeah. So I've also done something here. So basically what she's talking to me about is my posture. She's saying, get your shoulders back, get your head up, work on, on your neck, being much more straight, get your gaze a little bit higher. So a lot of people are spending time like this. She said, get your laptop elevated, get off your smartphone. And to be honest, I don't need a lot of encouragement for that. I think they're a blessing and a curse, to be honest. So I I don't need a lot of encouragement. But she was like, don't walk down the street like this. And I've been so mindful of my posture over the last few weeks, mindful of how many times I'm looking down, how many times my neck is, is just in the wrong position, how many times I'm gazing at the floor and not gazing all around me and what's going on and what's happening. I'm mindful, actually, of a generation that are going to grow up with horrendous neck problems because they're spending way too much time looking down. And while I was musing about it, I just felt God speak to me. And this is the way it happens for me. I'm usually living with something and God says, yes, and I would like to talk to you about that. And so while I was thinking, I've been spending too much time looking down, looking, uh, I just felt God say, yes, I would like to speak to you about looking up, shoulders back, about sorting out your posture. So that's what I'm going to talk to us about this morning. I'm going to talk to us about posture. I'm going to talk to us about good posture. I'm going to talk to us about getting ourselves before God, about looking at him and then making sure our life is in line with that. And I'm going to talk to us about that out of the life of Peter. And before you sit there thinking, oh yeah, I know Peter, the guy who walked on water and sunk. I know Peter the one who rebuked Jesus. I know Peter, the one who asked, what will I get for following you? How will it work out for me? The one who was sleeping when he should have been praying for Jesus. The one who didn't let Jesus wash his feet. 
So the king of kings is saying, I'll wash your feet. And he's like, no, 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 not mine. And then suddenly he's like, oh my gosh, give me a whole bath. He's like the most extreme person. He's the guy who cut the ear off the high priest's slave while Jesus is in the room. He thinks that he needs to take over and sort it out while Jesus is present. And he is the guy that denied Jesus, not once, twice, three times, multiple times denied, knowing Jesus, loving Jesus, following him. So I know that Peter was a bit of a slouch in places. I know that his posture wasn't excellent. But Peter had moments where you would have looked at him and gone, my goodness, what posture. Peter had moments where you could tell he looked at Jesus and then his body functioned as it should do. And I just want to concentrate on that this morning. Peter is by far my favorite character in the Bible. I just love him. I, I love that he has a go. I love that he attempts stuff and fails. I love that he's so public and so spectacular in his failure and then so public and so spectacular in his success. I love that he listened to Jesus and often got it horrendously wrong. Uh, for me, he just, he, he's helpful for me. He's helpful when I do stuff like that. And I love his character, his story, uh, everything about him, really, I just enjoy. I love his honesty, his realness. I love that he acts first and thinks later. I think maybe I identify a little bit with him and hope that maybe I will get to do some of the things that he's done. So I want to take a look at Peter. I've given you little sheets because I've, I've got some scriptures that you might want to. If you are listening to this online and you would like to have my list of scriptures, you can always email us and find that on our website and I will get that mailed to you. So I'm going to start with Matthew 4. So Matthew 4 is the following or the calling of Peter who then got up and followed. It reads like this. One day as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon also called Peter and Andrew, throwing a net into the water for they fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, come follow me and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and they followed him. First off, the way that Peter sorted out his posture in the first place was he was crouching down, doing a manual job, throwing nets out, putting his back into something else. Jesus came along and he turned, looked at him, got up, walked. I would say that if you want to sort your posture out, the first thing you can do is look at Jesus, turn away from what you're doing and follow him. It's basically what it means to become a Christian. And you make that decision on a daily basis to posture yourself in a good position before God. So some of you are sitting there thinking, well, I've been saved a few years or I'm not saved at all. I've never made that choice where I said to Jesus, I'm going to get up and I'm going to follow you. I'm going to leave what I was doing and I'm going to go where you're going. And I want to encourage you this morning that maybe the first step for you in good posture is to sort that out. So the physio said to me, the first step for me were these little exercises that she's given me. I look weird, so I'm not going to show you what they are. Um, But effectively, I have to kind of give myself a double chin and then turn my head slightly. I look weird. I do it at home in private on my own. Um, But maybe your first step this morning is to sort your posture out And maybe your first step is to look at Jesus and hear his voice calling you and say, okay, I'm coming, Lord. 
And maybe you're a Christian, you've been a Christian a while, and you're thinking, well, that's irrelevant to me. No. If you're a Christian, to have good posture in your daily life, you need to make that decision every day. Every day you need to make a decision that says, I'm looking at you, Jesus, and I'm getting up and I'm following you. I'm going to leave what I think is right and I'm going to listen to what you think is right. If you're a Christian, it should be a daily decision to look up, get up and follow him. It should be the prayer that you pray when you wake up. Morning, Lord, my intention today is to get up and follow you. My intention today is to look at you. My intention today is to do the things that you've asked me to do. My intention today is to turn away from myself and turn towards you. It's how you become a Christian, and quite honestly, it's how you stay a Christian. It's how you keep on being saved. So salvation isn't a one-off decision. It is a daily lifestyle choice that says, I will follow you, I will follow you, I will follow you. And it comes at us in all sorts of different ways. Voices saying, come this way, come that way, come this way. It's a daily decision and sometimes an hourly, sometimes a minute-by-minute decision to look at Jesus and follow him. The next one, Matthew 14, verse 28, says this. Then Peter called to him, Lord, if it is really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. And yes, come, Jesus said. So Peter went over the side of the boat and he walked on the water towards Jesus. I love this story. So the disciples are in a boat. Jesus comes walking to them. Peter just says, oh my, I want some of that. It's what I'm like when I read my Bible. I see angelic visitations and I go to God, I want some of that. I see people being instantly healed. I'm like, I want some of that. Like, I don't want to sit in the boat. I don't want to read a book and then go, oh, well, that was for that time, not for now. I want to say that which you've got on offer, Jesus, I want. Peter looked at Jesus walking on water and he said, I want some of that. And Jesus said, okay, out you come. So he made a decision to stand up, put his leg over the side of the water. I'm assuming that when he touched down, his foot got wet. I'm assuming that it was probably the point where both feet landed on the water that he was able to walk. I don't even know what that looks like. Did the whole sea go solid? Or was it just that God enabled him to walk on something that never was solid? I don't know. There was a moment, obviously, where he took his eyes off Jesus and down he went. So did it go solid and then go liquid again? I don't know, but man, I would like to try that. I would like to have a moment where I look Jesus in the eye and say, that which you're doing, I would like to do also. I would like to be out of the boat on the water. And for some of you, you're just too comfortable in the boat. You've actually sat back and you've gone, ah, this feels nice. And Jesus is outside of the boat calling to you. And he's saying, try this, do this, come with me. And you're like, actually, I like my slouch position. I actually have found, while I'm doing the exercises, that my neck is in more pain than it was before. And the physio said that I will probably experience more pain. You like that, don't you, when you sit down with someone who's a doctor, and they say to you, this is going to get worse before it gets better, that I will probably be in more pain as I realign. It probably is more uncomfortable to get out of the boat. 
It probably is more uncomfortable to stay in a slouch position. However, that doesn't mean that's where we should stay. It doesn't mean that we should lie back and go, this is probably my lot. This is probably what it looks like. So I may as well get my coat off and make a pillow and get myself a bit comfortable. I think for some of you, God has been calling you out of the boat for a little while. He's been saying, come, 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 come. And you've sat back and gone, ah, I've been out there. I remember what it felt like to get wet. I remember the point where I took my eyes off you and I sunk down. I remember the disappointment. I remember when it went wrong. I've been there. And I still feel like he's saying, come again, come again. And I feel like something of a Peter spirit needs to rise in us where we go, I want that. And for some of you, all God's going to do is he's just going to wake dreams up where you in the past have gone, I want that. And for some unknown reason, probably disappointment, you sat back and you've gone, I'm, I'm going to stay in the boat. I stay dry in the boat. I know I'll get back to shore in the boat. I know I'll be okay in the boat. And I just want to stir you. I want to stir myself, if I'm honest. Why stay in the boat when you could walk on water? Why stay in the boat when you could experience something in God and you may get a bit wet? You may get a bit hurt. You may have to listen to God rebuke you and say to you, no, that isn't what I asked you to do. Let's go again. You may have to face that, but it's got to be worth it to be the guy, to be the girl that gets to walk on water, to be the one who can tell the story of that which everybody else said was liquid turned solid when I listened to God and I did what he asked me to do. It's got to be worth the risk. Matthew 16, verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he said to his disciples, who do the people say that the Son of Man is? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, others say Jeremiah, or one of the other prophets. And then he asked them, but who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, you're the Son of the living God. See, Peter got his heart and his head in line. And Peter would have been a Jew that knew the Old Testament, knew the stories, knew that a Messiah was coming, knew that he'd be the Son of God, knew that he'd come into town on a donkey, knew that he'd be born of a virgin, knew that he would come from humble beginnings but would actually be the King of Kings, knew that he would eventually die on a cross. Knew because actually the Old Testament said all of these things. So he would have had some knowledge of a Messiah that was coming. And there are moments, I think, when we just suddenly, the lights go on and we go, of course, it's God. Of course he's the Messiah. Of course he's the son of the living God. You see, Peter got his head in line and his heart in line because he remembered what had been said about the Christ And he looked at what Jesus was doing. He knew that the lame were being healed, that the blind were seeing. He knew that good news was being preached to the poor. He'd heard about this Messiah that was coming. He'd heard about this Christ who was going to set the captives free. And then he recognized him. See, Peter was a man who stood on truth. And I know that sometimes he wavered. And I know that sometimes he failed, but he also stood. He also stood in the word of God. 
the Word of God helps us just get ourselves in line. It helps our spine get in line. It helps us posture ourselves. It helps us get our shoulders back. It helps realign our heads. It helps us focus on truth. When we say to you, read your Bibles, it's not because we're legalistic and we want to make sure we can tick a box and say everyone's reading their Bibles in real life church. It's not for that. It's because actually the Word of God helps us line ourselves up. Where we're bent out of shape, where we've been knocked out of shape, where the world bombards us with message after message, the Word of God helps straighten us up. It helps lift up our heads. It helps put our back in line. It helps get us firm. It helps get us rooted. The Word of God is literally, for the Christian, the thing that that holds us. The thing that we can always depend on, always rely on. The thing that we can come back to time and time again and say, this book says. So when the world is going, what about this? What about this? What about this? What about this? We come back to the book. And we come back to the book and we hopefully know the book, understand the book, are reading the book. So even sometimes when we're at work or we're out with friends and we hear stuff that that we just go, no, that does not line up. That does not line up with what God says. That does not line up with his word. That is not what we believe. And it helps us live decently. It helps us live God-fearing. It helps our gaze be in the right place, not down at the ground, looking at what the world's got to offer, but up. It helps us look from a perspective that is way higher than we would normally. So I want to say to you, read your Bibles. And I, I said to Stuart, I feel like this should be our message over and over again. It's one of the things when I've done youth work, now I'm doing kids' work, that I feel strongly about. If we can teach our kids to meet God in the Bible, they will be set. If you can teach your children to love the Word of God, they will be set. If they can encounter Him in the pages, they'll be set for life. If we have a young people's work who know how to read their Bibles and meet God in it, they will make good choices. It's valuable to us as a people, it's valuable to our kids and the generation beyond them that we don't give up on the word, that we don't put it to one side and say, oh no, I'm all about experience. I'm all about the spirit. I'm all about chucking the word out and just getting the spirit. That is where we meet him predominantly. That is where we encounter him. That is where we feed. That is, that's our place to be found. People who say to me, oh, I don't like reading. I don't like reading the Bible, but can be found on their iPhones reading page after page of trash on Facebook or, sorry, Facebook, or anywhere else, article after article, but cannot read their Bible, I would argue there's something spiritually going on there. And I get that reading for some people is hard. I understand that. I happen to love reading. I get that for some it's hard. I would say listen to it, have it read to you, do whatever you can to get the word in. Because it is literally the thing that keeps us on the straight and narrow. It's the thing that holds us. It's the thing that guides us and directs us. Peter was a man who recognized the Christ because he knew he was coming. 
because he's heard about him and suddenly when he sees him he's like this all lines up the one they've spoken about here he is and so he could say well you're the messiah you're the one that has been prophesied talked about for years Matthew 16 verse 18 this is, this is in the same bit. So then, then Jesus turns to Matthew and he says, Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock I will build my church and the powers of hell will not conquer it. The physio said to me, I want you to imagine that you have a piece of string out the top of your head and as you are walking along, someone is pulling it. So she laid me on the bed and actually pulled my head. This was in my, like, half hour of pain that will apparently make me feel much better. So pulled my head to get it up a bit. So as I'm walking along, I'm trying to imagine a piece of string pulling my head up. This is what God does in our lives. So as we are walking along, as we are going about our daily lives, he reminds us who we are. He tells us who we are. And we might be in a world, we might be in a workplace, we might be in a family where the voices we hear are, you're rubbish, you're not worth it, you'll never amount to anything. Which are all things that that pull us down. What God does is he pulls us up. And he says, you're my son, you're my daughter. You are chosen, you are loved. I saw you before the foundations of the world were put in place. I knitted you together. I have plans for you, purposes for you. You are an ambassador with Christ. You are a co-worker. You are to be the light of the world. You're a city on a hill. Do you know what that does? That pulls us up by our heads. That makes us go, oh my goodness, It's why we did the Freedom in Christ course. It's why we said, read those things out over yourself, over and over again. Because we know that something God does is he pulls us up. He causes us to be more than we could ever be in our own estimation and the estimation of people around us. He says to a Peter, you're a rock, and on that rock I will build my church. And we all look at Peter at that point in the story and go, really, God? You didn't want to go for someone with a little bit better track record? He's like, I'll have you. And what I will do with you is this. And then what you find Peter becomes is the rock on which the early church is built. When I read that story, it makes goosebumps go all over me because what I know is God said it and then God did it. It's unbelievable what God does with Peter. From the the guy who was a coward and denied Jesus, he stands up to preach probably the single best sermon in the history of the world where 3,000 people say, what must we do to be saved? And then they're added to the church. It's phenomenal what God will do with you if you align your heart and your head to him if you believe what he says about you, if you allow him to pull you up, if you believe the words he's spoken over your life, you will find your feet doing things that you never imagined. Stuart and I have believed God for things over and over again that we literally walk in. Do you know we stand down the front here sometimes 
giggling to ourselves. We go home and we say, can you believe this? Because God asked us a while ago to start a church. God asked us to do that with myself, Stuart, and Levi. God asked us to start a church. We giggle because we believed him, lifted our heads, and our feet started doing something. We started packing our house up, moving. We, we started doing something. And we look around and go, look what God does when you say yes. We look around at stories of lives changed, of people encountering Jesus, of people moving in their gifting, of people being loved, people being included. We, we just look around and go, man, is, is this not what life should be like when we listen to God and do what he says? Is this not the fruit that we should see? Because we have done the only thing we can do, really, and be obedient. We didn't build this. God built this. But when he spoke to us, we packed our bags and we moved to Sutton Coalfield. And we decided to raise our family knowing that our boys would have a brummy accent. I mean... I actually love the accent. Uh, I do. It makes me giggle every time I hear them. I think that is so lovely. They live and belong here. We upped and moved our lives. Some of you upped and started coming to church and you found God here. Some of you upped and left something and came here. Some of you left homes, churches, jobs, family to do the things that God has asked you to do. When we listen to God, when we allow him to pull us up like a piece of string from the top of our heads, when we listen to his voice over us, we get to be rocks like Peter, on which God can build and establish the most outrageous things. We get to be those people. When we listen to lies, we get to live out the fruit of lies. If you are downcast and thinking, I'm rubbish, I'll amount to nothing, those are not the things that God would say about you ever. They don't line up with anything I read in scripture. For sure he rebukes and disciplines his kids, for sure. But those are not the things that God speaks over our lives. If you do a study through your Bible, finding out who you are in God, it is breathtaking. If we believed Maybe 10% of it, we would walk taller, we'd be giants. If we believed it all, who knows what we could do, what we could accomplish as a people. If we purely believed in who God is and believed in who we say, who he says we are. And I have watched people over and over again realign themselves to what God says about them. And I've seen people where people have said, you will amount to nothing, and they have become in the kingdom giants. I've seen people stand up in their destiny and their calling because they have literally said to God, okay, if that's who you say I am, I will be it. And they have believed him. They've believed the truth of the word of God and they've believed prophecies and encouragement and things that God has said about them. You see, God sees right into our hearts and God knows who we truly are. There isn't a single person alive that knows that. God knows that. He knows the deepest parts of us. 
He knows how he knitted us together. He knows what he put in the mix. Therefore, he can call it out. And he can call out stuff that nobody else knows. Now, sometimes not even we know. You find yourself doing stuff sometimes that you think, how the heck did I end up here? And you think, that must be God. Because he can call out of us stuff that is hidden. So I would say, realign your heart and your head. Identity comes from knowing first who God is, and secondly, who God says I am. Identity in the world is self-esteem. It's not that. We're not looking at self-esteem. We're looking at true words that God has spoken over us, and we're looking at believing them. We're looking at realigning ourselves with truth, not from within us, from him. So we're not looking at self-worth, self-value, self-esteem. In fact, if I'm honest, I don't even know what that is. What I do know is that when God says stuff about us and we believe it, we end up being bigger than we ever would be on our own. Because we say, okay, if you say that about me, I'll step out on the water. If you say that about me, I'll stand up and preach. If you say that about me, I'll tell my story. If you say that's who I'm supposed to be, then I will line myself up with it. For some of you, you literally are believing lies. And you need to recognize them, acknowledge them, and say, actually, God, I have for years believed a lie over my life about myself, and I want that to stop now. And I want to get into your word and believe what you say about me. And then I want my feet to follow. For some of you, you have callings that are just sitting in you but you don't dare believe that you, of all people, could do it. And I would challenge you and say, you're probably looking at the wrong person. You want to be getting your eyes on God and saying, okay, if you say it, I'll come. If you say, come out onto the water, I'll come. And if I get a bit wet, okay. I'm I'm up for getting a little bit wet if I get to uh, experience you like that. Matthew 17, I don't know why I put verse 1 there, where's that gone? Matthew 17, the transfiguration, so Matthew 17, 1 to 3, six days later Jesus took Peter and the two brothers James and John and led them up a high mountain to be alone. As the men watched Jesus' appearance was transformed so that his face shone like the sun and his clothes became white as light. Suddenly, Moses and Elijah appeared and began talking with Jesus. That is a seriously good show. I, I, like, I, do you ever read stories in the Bible and just think, I just want to climb in the page and get in the story? That story, I just think, man, that must have been mind-blowing. It honours God when we get up a mountain with him. It honours God when we worship him, when we recognise who he is, when we see his majesty, his brilliance, his splendidness. His, it, it just honours him. I want to give a few practical things. My first one is not a moan, and there is no condemnation that comes with this. 10.35, get in the room ready to worship. Do you know what that does? That positions you ready to get before a most holy God and encounter him. Five minutes out there does give you time to chat to other people, catch up, say, my week's been like, oh yeah. It does give you that time. Five minutes in here gives you a mountain experience. I would trade in here over out there every day of the week. In here, you get to encounter God. 
And I would say, grab a drink, say to whoever you're chatting to, I'm going to chat to you at the end. I'm going to call you during the week. I'm going to email you. I'm going to Facebook you. I'm going to tweet you. I'm going to do whatever, but I am going to contact you later on because I'm going up a mountain and I'm going to worship my splendid king. And it does a second thing. It honors the team of guys that have been here since half past eight setting the, the scene. So the setup team that have been here since half eight, putting out chairs, getting the signage ready, getting the tea and coffee ready, honors them. The worship team, they've been here since half eight, warming up their beautiful voices, strumming the guitars. The PA guy and the visual teams who've been getting the desk ready and, and just sorting it all out so that we can get up a mountain, so that we can encounter him, so that we can get our eyes on him. It honours so many things, but most of all, it gets us up a mountain. It's why our songs at the beginning are praisey, Jesus, 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 Jesus. We're saying, get up the mountain, encounter him. Get face to face with him. I recognize some of you are coming up the mountain with two children hanging off your legs, maybe three, maybe four, maybe six, hanging off your legs. Still, drag them up the mountain. Bring them with you. Say, yes, I know you've got your Thunderbird toys and you're really excited about all of that, but come, let's go and meet our God. For some of you, you're like, in a different generation where you've raised your kids and and you're like, actually, we just want to focus on God and get up the mountain. Just sit far away from them. Position yourself away from the kids, probably mine mostly, and get up the mountain and just think, I I just want to get there. I just want to encounter him. What worship does to us is it gives us encounters with God that do something to our hearts that do something to our heads, that do something to our vision. It is, it's so powerful to worship God. It's all about him. And as we're worshiping, as we're praising him, something in our soul comes alive. There is something very beautiful in the, in, in the encounter of worship. When we're singing truth, when we're speaking truth, when we're, we're meeting him. There is also something very amazing about getting up a mountain so guys I know you've got a mountain trip planned I know this because it's on July the 16th and my husband can't make it so he's grumpy about it uh, because instead of going up a mountain he has to go to a party which is not his favorite place however on July the 16th some of you guys can literally get up a mountain and I don't know what it is about mountains but mountains do something in us to do with God If you are up a mountain and you look around, there is something magnificent about being up a mountain. There's something that happens in our heart, in our soul. It's a little bit like being by the ocean. There is something in creation that does something to us. So I say, guys, quite literally get up a mountain, but the rest of us... Get up mountains on a Monday morning, wax and worship on. During the week, just get worship in your home, in your car. Take every opportunity to just get up a mountain and breathe him in. To just lift your head up. It does amazing things to us. I want to encourage you at the Catalyst Festival to get yourself into worship. To sing and honor him and worship him and get up a mountain and encounter the God who has a face that is like glowing. When you really encounter Jesus, it, it, oh, it, it just changes you. Right, 
I've got to speed up because I have to land this plane now. Acts 2 verse 14 says, stepping forward on the day of Pentecost, um, Oh no! Then Peter stepped forward with the eleven other apostles, and he shouted to the crowd, "Listen carefully, all of you, fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem. Make no mistake about this: these people are not drunk, as some of you are assuming. It's nine o'clock in the morning. It's much too early for that. No, what you see was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God said, 'I will pour out my spirit.'" Most of you know the rest. When Peter preached that preach. 3,000 people were added to the church. Peter stood up and he spoke out. And he stood up in the Holy Spirit and he spoke out of the Holy Spirit. You have no idea the outrageous things God's got for you unless you realign yourself, unless you get your head up, unless you get your heart in line. Peter, I enjoy his character so much because I just think he lived out the purposes of God in his generation. He lived out what God has said you to do. He said, on you, Peter, you're the rock and I'll build my church there. And he lived it out. I will be devastated, not devastated because I'm going to meet Jesus. If I die not living out some of the things that God has spoken to me, I, I, I feel like, I don't know, I, I want to see the stuff that God has said. So I've had prophesied over me regularly that I will stand in the midst of a revival. I so want to see it. It's why I keep on praying for the sick, even though sometimes they get worse. It's why I keep going, because I know I'm supposed to stand in the midst of revival breaking out. I know I'm supposed to stand in the midst of healing breaking out. Oh, man, there are times when I think, this is so not happening, but I know it's there. I know it's there because God said it's there. And I believe with my whole heart in what he says about me. And I, like Peter, sometimes slouch and just think, ugh. But I, like Peter, also stand up and sometimes speak out and get out of the boat and have a go because I think it's out there. And there'll be moments, like with Peter, where suddenly it all clicks in place, where suddenly the Spirit is poured out, where suddenly revival breaks out. Every story I've read about it says that's what happens It says that people were praying, people were believing, and then suddenly it comes. And I think that was the day of Pentecost. It was a suddenly of God as it all just rolled in, all that he'd said. And there are days and there are moments. So I want to encourage you, if you like Peter, know there's a call of God over your life where you look around you and think, how is this ever going to work? Look at the day of Pentecost. Look at the rock on which Jesus built his church. Remind yourself, all of this is possible when God suddenly rushes in. And until then, get your head in line. Get your neck straight. Pull up. Look around you. Lastly, band, if you want to come and join me. Well, not join me. I'm not going to be in there, but come up. I'm going to land it here. Acts 3 verse 7, it says this. Peter took the lame man by the right hand and he helped him up. As he did, the man's feet and ankles were instantly healed and strengthened. You see, Peter didn't just sort out his own posture. He didn't just get himself in line with the things of God. He actually stretched his hand out and he helped others get up. He actually bent down low and said, up you get. 
He actually used what he knew about God, what he had found in God, who he was in God, to enable other people to stand, other people to step into their destiny. Some of you are sitting here thinking, yeah, Matt, I'm doing all those things. Now, stretch out your hand and help others get up. Stretch out your hand and help others believe what God says about them. Stretch out your hand and heal the sick. Stretch out your hand and bring the gospel for some of you are like, I function at a good level. I would say, let's go further. Let's stretch out our hands to the guy sitting at the gate. Let's stretch out our hands to those who are outcast, to those who are broken, and let's enable them to stand up. I don't know about you, I'd just love to worship him now. So I'm going to ask you to stand. I'm going to ask you to fix your eyes on Jesus. I'm going to ask you to call out truth, to believe in who God says you are, to get your posture good and to help others. I'm going to ask the Spirit of God to break off lies that you have believed about yourself for years that quite frankly are literally lies. I'm going to ask you to chuck those down and say to God today, I choose to believe in who you are and who I am in you. If you are not a Christian in this room, so you know tonight, if you were to die and meet God, he would say to you, who are you? I would sort that out this morning. I would get that right. I would say to God, I want to know you. I want to love you. I want to follow you. I believe when you died on that cross, you died in my place for my sin. I believe what you purchased for me on the cross was a place in heaven, a life on earth where I know you, love you, follow you. I believe what you purchased for me was right standing before a holy God and I so need that. If you want to pray that prayer, I would happily help you do that. But I know, don't want to be selfish, there's other people who would too.